0: Time. throwing this side wide open he's got his man the 10 the five touchdown chad Hanson gonna throw and he hits his man out to midfield david johnson and moore johnson inside the 40. hit the upright and bounced it through watson with the pass touchdown kiki qt the colts on a last minute fumble by the texans survives twenty six
1: twenty. and welcome to another episode of the turn up for what podcast talking your Houston Texans straight from the great British Isles we're joined this week by Mark Lane editor of the Texans while we attempt to piece together lightning striking twice in Indy just as it did in Houston two weeks ago and the Texans managed to get the ball down to the two again and fumble again Mark, have you ever seen two occurrences so eerily similar um, happen in the space of three weeks?
0: No, and given the fact that it was the same direction on the television too—the right side of the TV—it uh, was, you know, it was just unbelievable to see that happen. And it completed a series sweep. Um, it, they talk about history doesn't repeat itself; it rhymes. And that was a case of the history rhyming.
1: Yeah, it was, it was. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's been a funny old season, I think. And there's been, I saw a, I saw a stand, I think, of the, we had nine one-score games last year. We won seven of them. And that was always a, a facet of the Brian either You could, you know, win close games. Uh, and a big part of that was, I think, because you had a defense that would keep you in games. Uh, but this year, we've lost the vast majority of the, of the, of the one score. Close games, you know, if you think of the game in, in Nashville, obviously the game three weeks ago. And then on Sunday, it just it's just not, not been this team's year, despite, of, you know, obvious talent deficiencies.
0: Yeah, and part of it is the fact that um, it's the defense teams know that to get their yards to sustain their drives, just run the ball. And the the interior of the Texans' defense has been unable to stop the run. Um, you've had some guys freelancing, too, uh, according to, you know, just some inferences that interim coach Romeo Cronell has made. And it's been harder to stay in games. It's basically been Watson has to play at a Pro Bowl level, which, oh, by the way, he has. He earned his third Pro Bowl. Or... Houston just gets beat by uh seventeen points. I mean those have been your options this season, and uh again the, the not winning the the um you know the close games, there's an element of luck that goes into that, and it, it really hasn't been on Houston's side. you look at the Pittsburgh game. what if that would have gone differently or the the Vikings game Houston may have been sitting at two and two. O'Brien's still employed uh the Jackson I mean you just even go beyond that when he was fired and you stay in the Romeo Cornell era, if they get that two point conversion against the Tennessee Titans and they win that game, their fortunes change dramatically at that point. Because now the Titans have taken a ding in their record and the Texans have a little more confidence. I mean it it could have turned out a lot differently for Houston. And then just the Colts series alone. If they win that first game, they're riding a three-game winning streak. Maybe they don't collapse in Chicago. Um, but it's it's been brutal for Houston all year long. The only two bright spots that they have had are Deshaun Watson and Laramie Tunsell. Um, but I, I still have to give this team credit for continuing to fight and put their best foot forward each week and, frankly, make an audition for uh, the whoever the new head coach, whoever the new general manager is going to be because they're saying, look, we may have had a disastrous season this year, one that doesn't meet our expectations, but we're a winning football team. Believe in us. Surround us with the right talent. Get us the right coach in here, and we will be competitive in the AFC.
1: Yeah, and I think if you if you said you were going to go on the road, put four hundred and twenty five yards, a total offense, you're going to be eight for fifteen on third down. You think you probably got a chance, um, but it's just it feels like this season at many points, whether it been in, in Pittsburgh or whether it been the two point failed two point conversion in Nashville. I think the 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 Texans just seem just to not be able to piece it together and at really key times as well. As like you said, it's a bit of luck in there, but but the. The fumbling on the two, you know, twice, you know, it just shows you it's not your year, but there's, it just feels like this team just can't quite play what, you know, as O'Brien used to call it, it was complimentary football and they continue to just find strange ways to lose games. And, you know, and I think as well, the biggest thing, Mark, it's just that they're just the lack of turnovers, you know, the offense turns it over again, twice, one at the end and one, in, you know, to set up a, you know, a 14-0 hole that you're sitting in, in, the, in, the, in the first quarter. and, you know, you think just statistically next year, even if this team doesn't get that much better, surely the turnover train can just turn in their direction that that little bit more than it has done this year because it's almost unprecedented how few times have turned over the ball in their favor.
0: Yeah, they only have eight takeaways through 14 games. I mean, that is a dry spell. And it puts a ton of pressure on the offense to play perfect football. You have to have every possession end in a kick and hopefully you know not a three and out when you're referring to a kick um but it's it it has been unprecedented and I think some of what hurt the complimentary football though was trading DeAndre Hopkins because that just set up a new dynamic which the team has worked its way into successfully um of having a new passing game uh and then losing DJ Reader, not adequately addressing the interior of your defensive line for 2020. You did with Ross Blacklock, um, drafting him in the second round. But in terms of who can play now, who can contribute now, I mean, it's got to be better than Brandon Dunn. And it wasn't. And teams were just able to run the football at will um, and get their yards and and then on top of that the running where was the running game the whole year for Houston? I mean they still they, you know they didn't have a 100-yard runner. And it's just it's it's been very problematic um and they they have some areas that they need to address in the off season but even though they're probably going to finish 5 and 11 uh you know they still I, th- there's still a lot to be optimistic about this team, even though they don't have their two first draft, you know, their first and second round draft kicks in the upcoming draft. There's still a lot to be optimistic about with this team.
1: Yeah. I think Blacklock's potentially got to be a worry now at this stage because even, you know, he played limited snaps and I thought it was strange that they released Corey Lugit this week when he played a big chunk of the snaps. In the middle there, and then they, you know, and I think Carlos Carlos Watkins, you will want to burn that tape because he was manhandled, and they took him out, and then even uh, the guy I follow as a Laflou or follow Big Z as I call him um, came in number ninety eight, and he looked okay at times, big body, and he looked like he could move a bit. He was chasing down the ball, and and you think, you know, that that defensive line has just cost us so many times week on week, and it continued to do again. You just saw Jonathan Taylor just. He's, you know, just get a hold of the game. There was a drive where it ended in a field goal um, in the second half, and it was pretty much a run on every play. And I think when you're in that position as a defense, you just can't, you know, you can't stop the stop the dam at times. Um, but I, I think that again, the defense grew into, you know, in their credit of the second half because until that drive where the dart down the middle of Ty Hilton, when for some reason split safety coverage, you got three, you got three verts gone down the field and that leaves uh and that leaves Tyrell Adams again he probably didn't have a good game again this week like he didn't against Chicago but he's got three you know they got three verts that leave leaves basically leaves uh leaves the linebacker trailing probably their fastest receiver and it was uh and it was just a crucial crucial time to give up a big play and a big drive when actually in the second half they hadn't had a first down um until that point
0: yeah and it's but again, to me, it it goes to the run game because they've they've kept Houston's off. I mean, defense off balance the entire year, and you also don't have the personnel you'd like out there. But you know, I I think Tyrell Adams has filled in nicely for for Bernardrick McKinney. Uh, the secondary is virtually nobody left. Um, you know, even Phillip Gaines is injured was. Absent, uh so was John Reed. But I, I think that the the defense obviously they need to address their holes in free agency.
1: Yeah, I, I the problem is I don't know if they can because you know but I, I did see a, an article from Over the Cap and it talked about sunk money and it basically counted all your your draft picks in the last two years because you can't you can't renegotiate you can only really release them so you're 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 due out that money. Actually, the Texans, but I think the bottom five or six only thirty seven percent of their total cap carryover number was uh, was sunk in 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 terms of this sort of terminology. So actually, I think you know there's been a lot made of the cap, but then when you lo- looked at it from that angle, it looks like that you know there, there is flexibility there and there is definitely flexibility. I think there's there's a lot of big decisions to be made. I thought it was ironic that uh, merciless actually set the edge for one of the first times this season, Then he then he uh, flagged to the sideline. and He had to come off; looked like he hurt his arm. So, I will wait and see what what that comes out on in the injury report um, tomorrow. But it's um, yeah, I think the defense has just put, put us off far too far too often. Um, and I think but, but what stood out to me again in this game is you know you take the two fumbles out of it, but even on the drive we did score. So even on the Chad Hansen drive, you got. Um, You've got a uh, Rodrick Johnson gets beat by Dinegro Negro Then the next play, you've got a false start by Tunsil. But then somehow Watson overcome overcomes the situation and enhances there for a, you know for a thirty-seven yard score. And then again, when Scotty Phillips was in there, there was a there was a call overturned by the rest, by Frank Wright's challenge. Then Aitkins has a false start in the red zone. And then you end up settling for a field goal right on half time, when actually you know the drive was coming together. So it's just these small things that you know a lot of it's just down to coaching, but a lot of it's just down to player discipline as well and how tuned in these guys are. And it you know there was small little problems like this that just add up penalties at the wrong time because even the final drive with Kiki Fumble, you know there was a number of penalties and and, and giving up sacks and, and and just plays that are just avoidable, you know. And I think there's that sort of level of cohesion on offense, you know and Every statistical category, Watson has now broke, broke his own record for most touchdowns. He only needs another two to equal Matt Schab's um, you know, long-time record of 29, which have been broken at least two years ago. But if you know, it, there's been big steps forward for the offense, regardless of the personnel out there. And that's just a sign of how much Watson's developed. But it just feels like there's so many small little details around around you know each drive and, and around the offense if we could just improve that you know 5 10% i think that would make a big difference And, in your your you know you're taking the lead 3 weeks ago you're you're tying the game and taking it to overtime you know th- this Sunday
0: yeah and that's what i'm saying in terms of the luck is uh they have just kind of collapsed uh during key moments and uh, i you know it's it's just come from I think part of the malaise of the 2020 season from a Texans perspective, um going into this game, I believe Watt in his media availability said that it's always, you know, it it's always something um it, with this year, whether it's guys getting suspended or people getting fired or whatever. It's just it's always something. And I think that they've been caught up in just the whirlwind of you know the drama they haven't done a good job of keeping the ups and downs away from playing consistently, which is what you have to do in football because you know ninety percent of it sometimes ninety percent sometimes no ninety percent of it is getting your butt kicked and that's and you get ten percent that's good um but it's. And so that's why you have to just stay consistent in your approach is you don't want to live off of that 10% winning and good feeling all the time because of how rare it is. You just want to be consistent. And they, they haven't been able to do that. I think the one consistent element in this whole thing has been Deshaun Watson, which is why I think that his Pro Bowl, I was very pleased to see him get nominated for a Pro Bowl because I was worried that he would just get overlooked because all oh, the texans are 4 and 10 he's the problem and you know you got to lead and you got to win and all those clichés I'm glad to see that he got recognition for being one of the conference's best quarterbacks because he has been I mean let's let's take a quarterback list um team that's out there right now um, if you put the Sean Watson, let's say, on the New England Patriots, because that's everyone's favorite rumor from the offseason, you do that and they're probably, they have the number one overall seed. I mean, he's played excellent football. He has lived up to the expectations from when they signed that contract, which, by the way, isn't it funny how when some players, they get a contract, they kind of fall off. Can't say that about Watson. He gets the new contract first year delivers, but that's who he is. He's a winner. So now what they have to do is they have got to find uh, a front office boss and a coach that can get that type of winning mentality from Watson and permeate it throughout the team.
1: Yeah. And that's the big challenge. And I think that, the co- you know, the contract at the time it was always going to be sort of market leading. I think you, you know, there was no, there was no other way around. it. I think it was good to get it handled early, and you know, it was probably one of the only off season moves they made that was actually any good because you got your franchise guy, you know, locked in for another three years after the another four years after this. So, um, so I think it's it, the thing that I keep going back to is I and it, he's taken a huge step forward this year, Mark. No, no doubt about it. But I think he's got more to grow, and you know there was a couple of throws. You know there was one to you know, one the one to Kahali wearing if he just lays out in front of him, he probably scores a touchdown. There was a couple of other ones where he just didn't quite see the quite see the crosser, and he seems to struggle with crossers for some reason. But they're just small things, and you know, if that's the biggest problem with your quarterback, you know you're you're living okay. And it just feels like there's more growth to come, and I think he's going to get even better. And you just got to hope that like you said that the the, fr- the franchise can 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 sort this out and, and get, you know, get winning caliber and players or winning mentality around them to take his game to the next level. Because if he's getting the ball with short fields, which he's not done this year, if he's, you know, if he's got a more consistent array of pass catchers and if he's just got a decent running game. Cause I, I keep going back to that. And I think that that was probably the biggest positive I took from Sunday watching the tape back was that actually that was the first time I've seen us all year. I don't know why we waited till, you know, week 15 to do it. Um, but the distribution of the ball between the running backs and the and the use of David Johnson felt like we just missed a big number there because that that was that was the role that I think everybody had for David Johnson around him. You know, when he came in in the trade, you thought well, we must have a specific role carved out for that guy. Obviously, volume highly that skill set must fit, and it took this whole time. You know, concussions and etc aside, but it took this whole time to get an efficient use of running back. I thought Buddy Howell looked good, you know, and I think it was you're not even asking for a lot, but I but the, the reason why Deshaun played well and got the team out of a, a 14-0 hole was because, you know, we had eighty what, eighty three yards on the ground and it's not great, but it's a hell of a lot better than it's been and, you know, what a difference that made in Sunday. So if you can get a good running game around them, you know, I think you're just gonna see him take even further steps forward.
0: Yeah, and that's what I was hoping to get from David Johnson um, this season was, you saw how well Carlos Hyde did behind the same offensive line, and you figured that Johnson well could um, have a renaissance. But uh, instead, I, I just think that Houston got chased out of the run so much because of the defense, again, going back to complimentary football. And I also think that that is part of the reason why Johnson was – not featured so much in the passing game was because you had to take so many deep shots. You had to look for your chunk plays. Also those chunk plays were there anyway with Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks. And so now that they've had to come back a little bit, play a little more intermediate passing game, uh, Johnson's been available. Um, But you know it's still un- unfortunately for him has been a disappointing season and frankly for all the running backs um there's there hasn't been anyone that's um that that's really displayed. you know what i mean just really broken out they've all been curtailed um and i do think that it was good to see buddy hall get some carries i know andre ware on the uh, Texans Radio Network play by play. He's the color commentator. He was, when Buddy Hal got his carries against Chicago, he's saying, Thank you. i mean, why, where has this been? And Hal does. He provides kind of that burst, that bruising style that Alfred Blue had. And, um, you know, it, uh, he's an unrestricted free agent this year so he'll probably be gone from the team. Or maybe not. They may bring him back. Um, but it was, I, it was good to see how he get some of his carries. Um, and then also, Scotty Phillips, I think that uh, the closer you get to the end of the year, maybe you give him some carries. Maybe not, because he, he'll be coming back. Um, but they've got to find some solutions for this running game, only because you need to provide an effective complement for Deshaun Watson, so he's not having to do it all.
1: Yeah, and I mean, the the big—I think the biggest swing in this game was the two field goals you kick—one at the end of the first half.
0: Yeah, too many of their drives ended in field goals this season, and that has been a part of the you know the luck factor, if you will, um, and also it's played a part in. When Fairbairn misses, then that sets everything else up, and that's why you don't have as, as great of a finish. So, yeah, they've too many of their red zone opportunities have ended in field goals.
1: Yeah, and I think they've, they've missed Carlos Hyde, and then I think when when you when the Colts could just rush for. And pretty much I think every single one of the linemen include Laramie and that because I think for some reason he has a problem with their edge rusher Mohammed, because that's a couple there's about three or four clips I've watched them get worked by that guy. But when you can only rush four and still get pressure and collapse the pocket. And then in the red zone, when you're just dropping seven bodies in there, it's almost impossible to try and find guys if you've only got five guys on route. So it's it's tough to it's really tough to 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 find you know, space and that. And I think the, the again, it goes back to the running game of a running game that just can't get out its own way at times. And you can't really set up those 12, 13 personnel sets. And you can, you know, you can, you can dump it off to, you know, a tight end that, that look, you know, fakes out the block blocks releases and, you know, he's empty in the end. So you just can't set those looks up because people don't respect it. Yeah. And I, I think the the, the drive that, that to level the game, um, I think it was potentially one of their best drives of the year. And I think it was, it was the variance of it. And it was the, and again, it comes back to that effective use in the rotation of running backs and why it's taken this long. I don't know when you think it's, it's a simple thing and that all the O'Brien coaching staff and, and in, and in, including his reign, they just continued to get that position wrong. But he just showed you what a difference it made because it was it was it was a simple drive and it, it won't ever stand out. But I think in terms of how we've played and where our deficiencies have been this year against a top five defense, it showed you not only you know if you manage your running backs and your short and intermediate game well, and then Watson can do his thing when he gets time in the pocket, it, it will you know. And it was it was it you know it was a simple drive, but it it was it was it was Watson to, to David Johnson for fourteen. Watson to David Johnson for five. Then Scotty Phillips comes in for four. Then a no gain. Then then a four-yard gain for Watson Scramble. Then you get a 23-yard to your tight end, which we've not really done a huge amount apart from a- Aitkins here and there. Then Buddy Howell comes in and gets seven yards. Um, and then Aitkins gets, you know, gets another six yards. And then shot, shotgun David Johnson again for for eight yards, and then you then you hit Kiki for nine, you know, and it was just a very drive. And I think you know, like you said, Mark, I think there was always a, a fear, or there was always a let's just hit a long ball, and that will give us some momentum. But just that systematic breakdown of a defense, and just taking what they give you, and because there'll always be a play there, you just got to take it. And I think that was that was probably the best drive we put together this offseason, considering the circumstances on the road late in the year. It's been a bad season. But it was watched and talked about it just being the surgeon, and that was that was it right there in that drive.
0: Yeah, and that's what I'm saying is there. There have been elements of winning football throughout the season, and what the new head coach has got to do is figure out how to put them all together in one cohesive month, one cohesive game. Uh, just have all of these elements come together consistently and frequently, and then they should be able to, like I said, go back to being contenders in the AFC. Uh, But with regards to the running backs and why did it take them so long and so forth, I think some of it has been just the necessity. Um, When Duke Johnson uh, can't play, uh, when David Johnson has the concussion and he gets put on injured, the three-week injured reserve, and David Johnson has co uh, you know gets placed on COVID reserve it creates it created those uh situations where they had to adapt and then in those adaptations they discovered something that worked and unfortunately you know they discovered it when they're four and ten but nonetheless they found something that hopefully they can taken to the off season presuming that they let Tim Kelly stay as offensive coordinator and then uh you you, you can start to work those elements in in 2021
1: do you think Tim Kelly's got a chance to be on the next coaching staff then
0: yeah i do if they go defensive i do um if they go offensive probably not because i don't think that you know it's it's rare that you see an offensive minded coach keep the same offensive coordinator in place uh you know same goes for defense for the defensive coordinator if they go to defensive minded coach yeah I, I think he's got a good shot to stay
1: i suppose the only thing that concerns me about that is he only knows one scheme and i think the scheme at times has been okay but I think you know there's there's ways in Different, you know, and I don't know how much creativity he has been given. Or I assume he has since O'Brien's left. And you've seen that in some of the play calling, and um, but I think he just he's, he's learned under one scheme for so long, and I don't think that's necessarily suited to Watson's skill set. Now it has been better this year, without, without a doubt. I think it's been the best year of Watson's career, and a big part of that. And Tim Kelly deserves credit. I just, I just when it comes back to, and I've heard many people say this as well, but how many of the other 31 franchises, would he give Tim Kelly an offensive coordinator role based on his resume?
0: Yeah. And and that is one of the problems when a player, I mean, player, when a coach has come up under one coach, um, you know, in this case, Bill O'Brien, uh, they kind of get pigeonholed there, but uh, who would, I think the Jets would, I think, Wherever O'Brien lands, I think he'd take him. Um, I I would have to see the... Let's see, would Atlanta want Tim Kelly? I don't know. It depends on who goes there. Um, but I think that Kelly... Here is what I noticed. Was earlier in the year, Wat, Watson was not running... They didn't have him doing a lot of uh, run-pass option, and the his play-action passes were really low. I mean, it was like once O'Brien got fired, all of that opened up, and you know, it just it depends on if they want if the new coach wants to stay patient and let Tim Kelly continue to have his on the job training because he did because he did talk about his play calling. He said in the beginning he was trying to find the perfect play call when he realized it's it's really more about just eliminating bad play calls. Um more so than just finding the absolute perfect play call. Um but I you know I think some of it ha- has been the talent uh with the running game and it's not effectively been there. And they've just had to rely on Watson the whole time. But, you know, if Tim Kelly comes back, I don't think that the offense is going to be bad. I think it'll it'll be well. They just have to address running back and figure out the run game.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know how much Mike Devlin's still got a hand in that, um, in the run game and everything he's touched. <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily, you know, borne any success yeah. for this team.
0: I I think a lot. I you know, Devlin is still around and, and really I think um until you can because here's the thing about Mike Devlin. That this was said on January the 6th, 2019, It was the day after they lost to the Colts in the wild card game. And Mike Bill O'Brien mentioned uh his, you know, guys that he leans on and he mentioned Romeo Cornell, Brad Seeley, and Mike Devlin, and so Devlin has been a part of that Bill O'Brien core of coaches, um, and I think that he has played a large hand in the in the scheme w- with the run game. And if you can get away from him, I, I you know, like I said, I would be willing to let Tim Kelly have another shot at it. Um, just go out and get a defensive-minded coach. Because I feel like that has been some of the problem is just you need – I feel like what this team needs is it needs someone with really high situational football awareness. That's what they need because when you're going – I take, for example, what happened in the Baltimore game. Bill O'Brien goes for it on fourth down from, I think, their own
1: 31-yard uh, line, yeah, when earlier in
0: the yeah. first quarter they were at the Ravens 44, on a, even though it was a 4th and 9, but they punt? I, that's where I would have gone for it because then the loss would not have been as great as it was the, the loss on the 4th and 1 from your own 31. So, and, But you've seen that even with romeo cornell i get his thinking um in terms of going for it against tennessee uh you know but you've still kind of seen uh it's it has been you need a restoration of the complimentary football and just kind of an overall sense of the game because in having a franchise quarterback like Deshaun watson yes he can win pro bowls he can uh he can make you know he can he can really fuel the checkdowns twitter feed for a whole sunday well, okay we get it with the highlights but what having a franchise quarterback really does is it allows you to control the game because he's not going to make a lot of mistakes and turn the ball over and have a bunch of three and outs, and that's just Sean Watson's greatest asset. And I feel like if you pair him with a defensive minded coach that is going to play field position, take all of that into account, a la Brady and Belichick, that's what I think the winning formula is.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, there's so many directions I think they could go in. Out of my sort of kind of, and, and you know, the more you think about it you can swing over time in terms of different thoughts on it. But I think for me, Tim Kelly, and I think, you know, Weaver, when he talked about, you know, during the, the weekend, the, the run-up to the game of, you know, we need some help. And I think that was maybe him just putting that out there that, you know, it's not all on me and there's talent there, deficiencies, which is obvious. And that kind of comment to me maybe that he's not going to be here next year and he probably knows that. Um, but I think if, if there's potentially a place on the staff for them, but I don't know if it's necessarily a coordinator. Um, you maybe want some carryover. Yeah,
0: I don't think he would take a I don't think he. I don't think he would back to be in a position coach either.
1: No, I don't think he would. I think once you step up, it's hard to you know take a step back. Then unless you're fired from somewhere, uh, you know, mid-season or something like that, and you know, it's certain like you know, if you saw Greg Williams left the Jets the other week, you know, he'll probably struggle to get another OC job, even though he is you know predominantly has been a good OC in his career. Um, but I, I, the issue I think is that. He, you need to refresh stuff on either side of the ball and i think that extra 5 10% improvements you could find on offense potentially comes through a new scheme and something that's just a bit more varied and fresh and and, and you, you you may not necessarily want to go away from all the principles and all the concepts that were in O'Brien's play but i think it certainly needs evolved and if you know if if you were to keep kelly here i think you would need somebody to come in you know with from a different type of scheme not too dissimilar but a different type of scheme to come in and and just refresh the playbook a bit because at times it's it's got stale and i think that was the issue but i think you know and you saw quincy avery talk about that as well that it was the play calling and and o'brien's you know lack of willingness to go for it and be adventurous and take shots and then you saw tim kelly didn't have that pressure because you know in his head probably he's not here next year either some of the coaching hires, Jim Caldwell um, is one of the first, or is the first, um, officially to be announced by the team they're interviewing. And what do you think of that? He's not been in the game since 2017.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, interviewing Jim Caldwell is just part of the process, doing their due diligence, uh, interviewing folks that are available right now during the season because there's the folks you do want to talk to. you got to wait for their season to be over, you're. All, I also got an article on Texans Wire on why it makes sense. Uh, if you want to go check that out, uh, but basically, Caldwell has been around great quarterbacks. Peyton Manning, he was his quarterback coach from 2002 to 2008. Uh, he's his head coach from 09 to um, 2011, and then he was Curtis Painter's head coach. And ah! but anyway. Um, but you all he was around Matt Ryan I'm sorry Matthew Stafford 2014 2017 the frequency of playoff qualification that the Lions had during his coaching tenure had, had not been seen in that organization since Barry Sanders from 1989 to 98 um you also he was also the interim offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, for the Baltimore Ravens in 2012 when Joe Flacco had one of his greatest seasons when he had an 11-touchdown, zero-interception TD-INT ratio, and they won the Super Bowl that year. So he's he, he can get the most out of um, good quarterbacks, and he also is – just look what he did with the Detroit – they had only made the playoffs one time since 2000. He gets there, and they have three winning seasons in the span of uh, his four-year tenure. Um, they've been trashed since he left. I think that I think that hiring him. Let me just say this: I think that he would be that you'd still be competitive. You'd kind of be back to the O'Brien that you know the glory years of the O'Brien days, but. You still, I don't think that he can really put you over the top and win a Super Bowl. Um, I, he's sixty-five years old. I think he's been figured out, so to speak, in terms of the of the NFL. Um, so I, I would prefer that they go younger. But I also do like that they, you know, that they put him in the mix.
1: Yeah, he. I think he's the kind of guy that. I mean, as you said, his record. There um, at Detroit, I think is you know it's it's more success than they've had since and before and and yeah I, I heard Bill Polian speak recently and he you know talked highly of Jim Calder so he be one of the first names I pick up the phone to and I think he's a kind of guy if you do get a uh, you know he's a good guy like you know when O'Brien brought in Cornell, it's the same same kind of setup I think you know he's an experienced head on either side of the ball doesn't you know it might just be assistant head coach or it might be you know it's something in in that role uh, but I think you know guys like that you know have still have something to offer I, I don't think it would be a popular one but in terms of the fan base if, if you were to appoint <laughs> jim caldo i um, quite the opposite but if, you know there's guys there and, and i think the biggest thing that or the mistake that o'brien either had is that you know there's you know there's obviously no salary cap on your coaching staff and you know you can spend endlessly and getting as many heads and as many good people in the building to try and, you know, steer 53 men through a 16-week regular season. And, you know, there's guys like that that you can extend your coaches and stuff beyond the, you know, the, the limited base of coaches that O'Brien had. Um, and I think, you know, that's definitely a positive. So he may be a name that that, that may come around in, in some capacity um, if he's still got a lot to offer. And there's a rapport there. But I think he's definitely one that the, the traditional football people particularly the guys that Cal's in the committee and inverted commas is, is approached, I think you know he'd definitely be a name that would recommend. Do you have, Mark, a, a favorite candidate that you'd want for head coach?
0: Mm, I'm torn between Robert Salah and Matt Eberflus. Uh Robert Salah, obviously, the, and again, you see my philosophy. I think you got to go defense um, because... Okay, Robert Salah, because he's had experience with the organization before, and he's done a lot with nothing this season with the San Francisco 49ers. I know they're five and eight and they you know the Dallas Cowboys managed to score 41 points on them, but that was more points-off turnovers than it was anything to do with his actual defense, you know. Uh, Richard Sherman's spoken very highly of him. In terms of his ability to get those guys coached up, ready to go, be competitive despite the massive injuries that they've endured, I would go Salah. But another one that I would be interested in is Matty Berflus, the defensive coordinator from the Indianapolis Colts. One because you weaken the Colts. Two, more importantly, uh, I just I, I he was running the defensive meetings for the Dallas Cowboys. In 2012, the last season that Rob Ryan was defensive coordinator there, he was running the meetings. He's uh, ha- He's been around great coaches. He's got that defense uh, playing at a, at a high level, and it's been a dependable unit for the Colts. And, you know, he, he went from linebacker's coach and then gets his first shot as, as defensive coordinator. He's also – um, no nonsense. He doesn't get. I think he's a real consistent guy. He doesn't get fooled too much by success and you know by splash plays that players put on tape. I think he gets to the heart of the matter, and though that's who that's someone that I I would be pleased with if they interviewed him is Matt Eberflus.
1: Yeah, I I, I think the. The common theme, though, and I, I don't know what you think the answer. to This is Mark, but if you do hire a defensive coordinator, then you know the OC hire has to potentially be a big one. And I suppose I think that the the train of thought that people like, anyways, that Salah comes in with somebody from the Shanahan slash Kubiak um, Shanahan senior tree of of play action bootleg kind of outside zone kind of running. Do you think? Is, is that how you envisage the Salah hire to go? Because I think, well, certainly I think everybody in Detroit wants him there. And I wouldn't be surprised if Jacksonville want him there as well. And I, I, I'm, I'm sorry for, as they're now sitting in the first first overall pick, is Jacksonville now a, a potentially more appeal, appealing situation to both GM and head coach?
0: Well, you got to consider that, yeah, Salah was with
1: Jacksonville. You know,
0: really comes up. out of the Kobiak. But he also was in Seattle on that Super Bowl-winning team in 2013. Uh, offensive coordinator was Daryl Bevel. So what if you get Daryl Bevel as offensive coordinator, Robert Salah as your head coach? I mean, that that would be kind of a win, I think, to to get that pair. Um, so so that's what I'm saying with Salah. It doesn't necessarily have to be – Back to the Kubiak days, back to um, you know the bootlegs and all that kind of stuff. You can have uh, someone who brings in a different offensive style, even though he is a defensive-minded. I mean, even though he is a, a defensive coordinator.
1: Yeah, yeah. I just, I just think in terms of the the offensive core. I always just think. You know Matt Shaw was a limited quarterback but if you think of and if you look in I don't know it didn't panic this weekend but for the Rams as well and they kind of play a similar kind of you know kind of kind of system and the amount of easy throws it gives up you know because that Chad Hansen touchdown I know there was maybe you know there's been a few maybe stills' touchdown in the in the playoff game against uh, Kansas City last year but you could probably count on one hand how many easy touchdowns you know that that this current scheme offers. And I don't I think you know a lot of it's all about matchups and it's all about, you know, man on man winning their winning that matchup. Whereas I think the the thing about Kyle Shanahan and, and that scheme that, that that's you know, say Salah takes, you know, uh Eber, um LaFleur's brother uh there from from there as a defensive coordinator, for example, and they come in and put that scheme in here. I, I think it's 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 probably not it's probably not exactly to Deshaun's skill set but I think it, it schematically, I think it gives you a lot more easier plays than, uh, than than this current one does potentially, was my thought on that.
0: Yeah, and I think that ultimately that's what they have to do. Um, I gave my philosophy, you know, I could be totally wrong, but I think the well, ultimately what they have to do is they have to find a coach that's going to get the most out of Deshaun Watson. Because, how many coaches they uh, they go to a team? I mean, let's say you're Adam Gase, for example. Um, even though you know he's Adam Gase, but you go to the Jets and they've you know got this rookie quarterback and who knows you know what he can do. But you know you got him and uh, and you go down to Miami. Uh, and Brian Flores, I mean, he's got Ryan Fitzpatrick and then Josh Rosen, who the Arizona Cardinals didn't want, you know. But if you can be a coach and you come to a team and you've got three-time pro bowler Deshaun Watson under center, I mean, that's it. That You don't have to do any more evaluation during the offseason. You don't have to devote any more of that. Your player personnel department doesn't have to focus on that. It's settled. That is such a huge step for an organization and really a coaching staff um, but also, this is a decade of opportunity for Cal McNair and the Texans because Watson is also still young enough in his career that you can bring in a a, a new offensive coordinator, a new coaching, you know, style, and you know he's going to go along with it. He's not old and crusty and wedded to some old way and going to bicker with the coach. Um, so it's it's a very optimistic moment for Houston, uh, and you know I I think that that has been some of the problem with O'Brien's scheme, and it is one of the problems that's still out there. It's like '90s, '2000s football that's still here today, which is just win your matchup instead of just do your job relative to the scheme we're running you know um and if they could make it easier on Watson i would try to uh, incorporate him in a scheme where he doesn't take as many hits because he's put a lot you know a lot of tread has come off that tire in terms of the hits he's taken through the first three full seasons as a starter
1: yeah 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 i think if you look at this sorry, can Gruden... He's not been a great GM and I think that's probably held, you know, that this new reign at uh, in, in now in Las Vegas back. But if you look at that scheme, I think, you know, just the way he's set up, the way the ball comes out um, on time and in rhythm. I think you know something like that, you know, where Derek Carr doesn't take many hits at all, uh, you know, he's aided by a decent line, Rodney Hudson and and guys like that up, up front. But but the ball comes out in a rhythm and it just t- it takes that element away from it. And I think that's been the biggest issue of, of you know, and this was probably referencing earlier. But you know, easy plays, layups, you know, you know, and you saw that on Sunday to a degree, but I think the O'Brien, you know, Yankee concept, two receiver routes, max protect, waiting for balls to waiting for plays to, to uh to develop, say having to sail long passes, having to hold on to the ball for five seconds, you know, that kind of stuff as you're right, it's it's not sustainable long term and Tim Kelly's done a good job of getting away from that, but I think, yeah, I, I just don't think we can ever underestimate what a new scheme could do think, and just takes Deshaun's game even further forward, like we mentioned earlier. Last week, Mark Lewis-Riddick was in, uh, might have been Zoom, he might have been in, in NRG, not quite sure, but he was, the team confirmed officially, he was in, what do you think of that? feels like the ultimate PR move, but a guy that's been in an Eagles front office and and uh, and, and certainly got some track record and certainly a very sort of, Halfable kind of uh, you know clean leadership kind of guy that you might, you know the potentially might be looking for.
0: Yeah, I hate to be one of those people, but if he's so good, why is he available? And yeah, not just well, yeah. <laughs> available, but available for seven seasons. Last job he had was director of pro personnel for the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, 2013. And yeah, he's done nothing. I mean, maybe TV's better. I you know I I know. Twitter and, um, you know, the blogs, they all love uh, Lewis Riddick and, oh, the great breakdowns. And look, it's true. I mean, it is. But in terms of running an organization, I can't. If he's so good, why has he been available? And, and that's – I hate to say it because it's so – it's such lazy, um, you know, analysis and a take. On Riddick, and I really don't mean to disrespect his knowledge of the game or his experience inside of a front office. I mean, he was a uh, a player on the stage, you know, uh, an actor on the stage, so to speak. Um, he was in the arena, you know. We weren't. So he deserves some respect in that regard but again in terms of looking for I would I would much rather look inside an actual front office than uh than the media for someone to to take over this organization and again I mean he did he did some great things in his career okay he was the director of pro personnel for washington during the last 3 seasons of Joe Gibbs's tenure there and they made the playoffs in 05 and in 07 you know um so he he was the assistant director of pro personnel with the Eagles in 2009 and that was a season where they got Michael Vick um and they drafted uh they they drafted uh, Lashawn McCoy and Jeremy Macklin you know it, so he's been around some success in that regard but then boom it goes away after he leaves the eagles and and that's what i'm saying is what why have you been out of football for 7 years and can you still add something to a to a front office um you know if if they if if they gave him an interview and it later leads to Riddick getting back into football, and you know that's kind of what he needed. Not necessarily with the Texans, but elsewhere. Then that was really a great job on the part of Houston to do something like that. But I think they were taking a look at available candidates, and like you said, they weren't necessarily doing it for the public relations aspect, but that is kind of what it turned into, and they got a few pats on the back along the way.
1: Yeah, I think he's just a media face, isn't it? I think if you think of all the Easterby, all the O'Brien, all the all the you know all the the mud that's been thrown at this sort of thrown at this organization and Cal and his leadership of it, um, and the SI article and all that kind of stuff that's come out, I think it just if if you were to take a guy like that, it potentially washes that away, and whether that means he's necessarily the, the you know the best GM out there, I don't think so. I, there was also rumors they were speaking to other guys that are out of work right now. Thomas Dimitrov and John Dorsey. Dorsey seems to be one that's peddled by Corn Ferry. I think if you pay somebody whatever fee it is to recommend John D- Dorsey a couple of times, and I think the Corn Ferry's track record suggests that they have done that a few times. And in uh, in, um, in Cleveland, um, certainly, and in in terms of other some of the hires they've been involved with, what do you think of those guys? And and I think what do the timelines look like if we're having to wait for somebody, say a Ken Dodds from Indianapolis or or whoever it might be um, from a front office that make the playoffs? How does that impact your timeline? Because you saw Cal previously with the Brian Gain hire when Gooden kunst was in the building. He went back to 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 take the job in Green Bay gets a phone call late at night after going for O'Brien for a dinner and they panicked and took somebody who was available. And you you wonder, the longer those names are unavailable to interview, do you think they'll pull the trigger quicker than they should otherwise?
0: No. Um, I think they'll be more deliberate than they were last time. Yeah, Because you've got to get this right. It's not just a, you know, You've got two big hires to make, and I think they'll be a little more deliberate. And a guy that I'd like to see them interview is Mike Borgonzi from the Kansas City Chiefs. He's their director of football operations. Um, You know, he's someone that I'd like to see they take him and they make him the general manager. Um, And really, you've got to cultivate from successful organizations, and uh, I, I wouldn't go with a retread like Thomas Dimitrov and uh, and John Dorsey. I, I would try to go with someone that's in a successful situation right now,
1: yeah. I think so. You want people that have been in and around the franchise, it's well run, you know, probably the opposite of what this place has been for 18 months, and you want you know, people to bring good football evaluators and, and op- you know and people who could operate an effective franchise and apparently you know as a, if the rumors are to be true you know getting the injury reports being di- you know difficulty behind the scenes in the building so you think it's got to be the only ways up i think it's so hard to be able to tell you know who the who, you know who the best guys are because what have they actually been involved with what decisions did they make i think it's unless you're in the industry it's difficult to know but hopefully that time will tell when do you think the likely hire if it is to be the GM first will happen do you think we'll have to wait till so, barely favored after the Super Bowl?
0: No, because then that kind of impacts the general manager's input into the head coaching hire. Um, so, I it, you know, it, I think it just depends on who they're taking a look at. If you're taking a look at Organzi and then, oh, well, Kansas City is uh, back in the Super Bowl era, then there you go. That probably impacts that particular hire. So it's just who they're targeting. Um, I, I hope it gets wrapped up before January 20th. You know, I I hope within the first week of the season of the off season, um, which for the rest of the NFL, that's the playoffs um, that they get it taken care of. Uh, But, you you know, we'll see because you have to get, tires right it's not just like oh we're a garbage team and we've been two and fourteen the past three seasons and we are what we are you know no you've got Sean Watson you've got a team that can make the playoffs that it just gets two yards away from beating great teams like the Tennessee Titans and Indianapolis Colts and that possibly could have uh you know that was leading in the fourth quarter again at Pittsburgh against the Steelers. This is the kind of team you have. You've got to get this head coaching hire right. You you can't you know, Jacksonville. You know they can mess it up after they fire Doug Marone and all. They can goof that one up. They they they're in pretty bad shape. But with Houston, they have got to get this hire right. And it has nothing to do so much with the first round. You know, not having the first and second round picks and the salary cap space, even if you were uh, just absolutely uh, in the margins, you know, in the black on that, it doesn't matter. It's the fact that you've got this decade of opportunity with Deshaun Watson under center that you have got to get this hire right, both of them.
1: Yeah, it's right. Let's hope we do. Let's hope we do. We've got a game coming up this Sunday, Mark, the the visit of Cincinnati to – NRG Stadium sort of rings memories of the last minute Randy Bullock uh, miss field goal. I think that was either was that Christmas or Christmas Eve, a couple of years ago. Um, you think it's a good opportunity just to get a fifth win of the season, and and you've got to think the Tennessee game is probably going to mean something now as you know in week seventeen. But certainly the Joe Burrowless um, Bengals and DJ Readerless as well. Uh, we'll see the return of Christian Covington. Um but it feels like a chance to get a win, but they did put a good performance in against Pittsburgh last night.
0: Yeah. I was shocked that they beat the Steelers. Um, but I think that, I think that Houston will, they'll play a close game with them, to, but they'll, they'll come away with the victory. Um, I, I wrote in the USA today what it was supposed to be. I forget what my prediction was. I think it, I think my prediction may have been 27-19 Houston over Cincinnati. I think that, you know, you'll get your mix of Fairbairn field goals and uh, Deshaun Watson touchdowns and limiting the Bengals to field goals themselves. Um, So that's what I see is 27-19.
1: Yeah, I think think we're about I think we're opening seven and a half point favourites on the on the spread. So, um, yeah, I think you're probably in the right right uh, area there. I mean, I, I probably would have said we would have gone to Chicago and put in a performance like I probably expect this week and that didn't happen. So hopefully this team can put it together and uh, and get a fifth. When I didn't, you know, and I think interesting, you know, about the, the Pittsburgh game because of, of all the games that, you know, that we've lost, that was probably the one that sticks in my mind the most because it felt like it would just, you know, easily... On another day and i know they've lost bud dupree up front and all the you know, in the, you know and anyone they lost their uh, linebacker um uh was it Devin white so i oh, know it's not Devin white um it's the other one and uh, the one from michigan isn't it um you know the, the mike linebacker and their team so they they you know of all the games that we've lost against teams that you know there haven't been these divisional heartbreaking losses you think that one's one of the one that you you know and, and include Minnesota and that the week after but that one feels like you know we were pretty close with them and then for them to be sitting at 11 and0 at one point you thought you know they've, they've had a reasonably you know straightforward schedule to get to that point and now they've started to to come away come away from the from the you know the of form they're in you know considering the injuries so I don't know how much you read into that and
0: I feel like that was the one that the whole season turned yeah. on that one because if they win that game then you're one and two and you've recovered from having to face the top of the conference for the first uh, three weeks. And then you have a little momentum and you're not playing as, uh, you know, on edge against the Vikings. You probably save O'Brien's job. You beat the Jaguars as expected. And then you're really three and two heading into the Tennessee game and then maybe the tenor of the season changes at that point and then you know you end up 5 and 5 going um, you know not 5 and 5 but um maybe at that point yeah you're 3 and th- 3 I think going into the bye um and then no you'd have been either 3 4 4 3 going into the bye and then at that point, you come out, you beat Jacksonville. You should have beat the Browns. Maybe you beat them, and it just it, it ha- it's a whole different season at that point. And maybe you still don't make the playoffs, and O'Brien gets fired. But it's it's not over by week fourteen, week thirteen because of the fumble against Indianapolis. Um, I just feel like the whole season changed in Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh. I mean, I don't want to bash them too much, but they. To me, the two biggest frauds in the conference are Pittsburgh and Tennessee because Pittsburgh, you know, they almost lost to Garrett Gilbert and the Dallas Cowboys on November eighth. Um, yeah, and the Browns to the group. They they almost they should have lost to Houston uh, in week three. I mean, uh, they pull it out against Tennessee, and like I said, I mean Tennessee, they just kind of. To me, the real team in the conference that should, I mean, in the division that we'll see if they end up division champs. I don't know; it's kind of a long shot. It should be the Indianapolis Colts, the fraud in the division, in my opinion. The Tennessee Titans—they just, you know, how do you get beat by the Cleveland Browns forty-one to five at home? How does that happen? If you're—I mean, Baltimore knows how to take care of them. You know, Pittsburgh knows how to take care of them if you're one of the top dogs in the conference, how do you let that happen at home? You know? So, um, yeah. that I'm um, that's my opinion. I'm sorry. No, I
1: think that. it's, yeah, I think you spot on, Mark. It, it feels like it could have gone so many ways and there's a huge job on this defense to turn that around and I think that could be a two- year to three-year process to get back to the heights of, of you know, game-winning contributions that we've been accustomed to in Houston. But, as you said, we've always got Deshaun, and I think Sunday, despite the loss, you know, and it, it's salt in the woods because we've not got those draft picks to, to fall back on if you if your season just kind of spirals out of control, like we've just said. But we've still got a player under centre, and that's, you know, as you said, there's a window of opportunity here, and it's been a tough season the, the, the latter half when it's all become meaningless. But, you know.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know, but it, this is a quarterback's game. So you've got the winning piece and really what and because it's a quarterback's game he can actually help your defense because if Watson is able to build leads then you can turn your defense loose and then they can make any quarterback look bad and and then teams are not running the ball as much because they're having to keep up with Deshaun and the offense and then uh they can pin their ears back and and cultivate sacks so They've got the winning element. They've got the peace in Deshaun Watson.
1: Yeah. The irony of looking for the peace for so many years, you find the peace and everything else around it disappears. But hopefully we'll be entering one week closer to a new dawn with or without a win at Cincinnati. That was Mark Lane from the Texans wire. Thank you very much for him for his time making the first appearance on the podcast podcast please check us out at podcasttexans.com. Rate, review and subscribe to the podcast and hopefully we'll be back next week to talk a fifth win of the season. Don't think I'll be saying that two weeks to go against the Cincinnati Bengals.